Welcome to the Well Studying Podcast. This is episode 144. Today is October 12th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Today, I want to focus on current market conditions, and I want to discuss why I think the market is still not in full recovery. There are a lot of optimistic signs out there, but I want to give you the other side of the argument. I still remain concerned about a pullback in this market. I've entitled this episode, Beware of Market Double Top. What I mean by that is that about a month ago, when the S&P 500 made its first attempt at a full recovery from the correction that we saw back in uh, you know, mid to the end of August, August 24th and 25th, um, when the S&P tried to recover from that, that was about a month ago, that was September 17th. We saw a very drastic negative reversal on September 17th. The market um, had skyrocketed up above 2020 on the S&P 500. In fact, it was 2020.86. That's important. We're going to get down to the nuts and bolts on that in a minute or two. What I want to point out about September 17th is that in addition to the market trying to break out and rising up above that 2020 level, there was a negative reversal that day. That's what led us to believe that the market was going on to retest the lows of August 24th and 25th. That did subsequently happen, and so what we saw was two double bottoms. Bottoms that occurred around August 24th and 25th, and then another bottom that was put in about a month later, September 29th. Well, the market's gone on to recover from that. It's recovered nicely. Again, we'll talk about that in a little bit of detail in this episode. But the thin ice that that I think we're on, the hazard that I want you to watch out for, is the double top that I think it's forming right now. So the market hit 202086 level on September 17th. The the important thing here is that the last three trading sessions, the S&P 500 has tried but cannot get above that intraday high that we saw on September 17th. So take a look at a chart of the S&P 500 that shows intraday trade. You can look at that either in the form of a a high-low or a candlestick or whatever type of bar graph that you like to look at for intraday trade. But you'll see clearly that the market has formed a double bottom and now, I believe, is likely to be forming a double top. What that means is that because these last three trading sessions, the S&P 500 has not been able to get above that 2020.86 level, It's also been showing lower trading volume for each of these past three days, significantly below trading average volume, even though it's trying to recover. To me, that's bad news. That's why I'm anticipating this market to continue to roll over. And I don't know if it'll go back to form a triple bottom where it'll again retest those lows that we saw back on August 24th and 25th. But I do think we're headed lower. I think we're headed to at least that baseline of 1950 that I've been talking about. Let's get into some more detail about this market. I do want to preface all this by saying that even if you're listening to this podcast episode in at a future date, sometime beyond October 12, 2015, and I bring this up because I know many of you go back and re-listen to old episodes, what I want to point out here, the information that we're talking about today is not only timely and relevant for the conditions that we're in right now, but I'd encourage you to listen to this at a point into the future because we're going to also be talking about basic principles, basic chart reading, things about sector leadership, and why I'm concerned about this market dropping back down below its 50-day moving average, you know, basically saying that I don't think that this correction is over. When you listen to this episode into the future, the advantage you have is to see whether or not this forecast that I'm talking about panned out or not, 
and then to also look at these key points I'm talking about, the double bottom, the double top, the relationships with the moving averages, and then looking at specific leadership within the stock market. Those concepts don't just apply to the situation we're in right now. Those concepts apply to all recoveries from any correction. So let's start out our discussion by specifically looking at the three main indexes, the S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and the NASDAQ. All three indexes have been performing very well over the last two weeks. That's why so many people on Wall Street are excited and are thinking that maybe this correction is over. What I want to point out, though, is that the leadership we're seeing from these three indexes is primarily in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Now, while that in and of itself is not a bad thing, those are the top 30 blue chip companies in America that are very widely held. They're excellent dividend payers. They're very stable companies. So that's a good thing. But generally, when we're looking for leadership in a really strong bull market, a market that's rallying to go on to all-time new highs, we generally don't see the leadership coming out of the Dow Jones Industrial Average because by definition, since these are the largest and the biggest and the bluest of the blue chips, it's harder for them to grow and have the same innovation that you'd see at smaller companies. So generally, we see the leadership, in, for example, in technologies over on the NASDAQ or in the Russell 2000. But so far in this recovery, the index that's looking the best is the Dow Jones Industrial Average. What that says to me is that people are still being very defensive. They're being very concerned. They're reaching out and, and buying and investing in stocks that are top quality. Again, that's not a bad thing, but it just shows you the risk level of where investors are at in these last two weeks. And they'd rather be investing in blue chip dividend payers than in some of the names that are more familiar and where you would expect to see the growth. So that rotation into these blue chip stocks is concerning to me. It tells me the people on Wall Street, the, the pension funds, the big institutional investors that have to remain in the market and what I mean by that is that while you and I as individual investors can always sell our stock equity positions, we can move that into cash, put that money into a money market fund. Institutional investors, pension fund type investors, they can't do that. They have to maintain a high exposure to equities if that's what's in their mandate or in their perspective. Take a look at one of your mutual fund prospectuses. It'll say something like, this fund has to remain at least 95% invested in the type of equities designated by the mandate of this fund, meaning that they can only have a 5% or less position in cash. They have to remain fully invested. You and I as individual investors don't have to do that. So if you're a big fund manager on Wall Street right now and you're seeing trouble waters ahead or you're concerned about where the direction of the market is, but you're required to be in the market you're going to look for the safest, best harbors you can find, and generally that's in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So that's why I point out that the leadership in the Dow right now, while a positive thing, is not necessarily an indication that the market's going on to rally higher. Now the S&P 500 of those three main indexes, the S&P 500 is in second place. The index right now is trading at about 2017, which is solidly above the 50-day moving average. Again, that is very good. That's something that we would want to see coming out of a correction. The only way this market is going to recover is if the major indexes can stay above their 50-day moving averages. So having both the Dow Jones and the, and the S&P 500 above their 50-day moving average is a very good sign. 
The 50-day moving average for the S&P 500 is a little bit below 2,000. So for the market to be trading at 2017, again, is very positive. It's the kind of leadership we're looking for. You've heard me say in, in these just previous podcasts, previous episodes, that I saw a great deal of resistance, definitely at the 2000 level on the S&P 500, and that I felt that we were in a trading range where the midpoint is about 1950 on the S&P 500, and then that would get up into like the 1990s, the 1980s. I thought there would be a lot of resistance there. I thought it was very unlikely that the market could get above that 2000 level. Well, it has done that. So again, that is a good thing. It's broken through not only a lot of overhead resistance, but also the psychological barrier of that 2000 level. Where I have concern, again, with leadership is, is that when we look at the NASDAQ, this is the index where generally you're going to find the large technology stocks, the biotechs, the smaller cap stocks, which really drive the overall growth of the economy. It's performing the weakest of the three major indexes. In fact, it was just in today's trading session that the NASDAQ was able to close above its 50-day moving average. On that key date that I keep talking about about, uh, on the market top, September 17th, the NASDAQ had gotten up intraday trade up to its 50-day moving average. It had a negative reversal and it dropped hard down below that 50-day moving average. On that day, and this is about a month ago, it broke not only its 50-day moving average, but again for the second time broke below its 200-day moving average. So the fact that today it was able to close right at its 50-day moving average shows that the market, from a technical standpoint, is stronger than it was a month ago. However, the NASDAQ has dropped so much over the past two months that back just a month ago, that 50-day moving average was right around the 5,000-point mark. And that 5,000 mark on the NASDAQ is very similar to the 2,000 mark on on the S&P 500. It acts as both a psychological and a technical key resistance level. And that's what the NASDAQ was unable to get above back a month ago on September 17th. Well, as of today, that 50-day moving average on the NASDAQ is all the way down to around 4,800, 4,828, something like that. And so while it's a positive sign that the NASDAQ would be closing above that key level, that 50-day moving average, from a nominal standpoint, the NASDAQ is still significantly below where it was just a month ago. And that point a month ago was significantly below where that same average was two months prior. Since July, we've seen the NASDAQ down, as of today, about 7.5%. So in spite of the fact that the last two weeks have have seen some very positive actions and some very positive gains on the NASDAQ, it still remains down about 7.5% from its high just over this past summer. The real concern with this is, remember, this is where the leadership is. This is where the strength comes from. Many of those strong leadership sectors, things like biotech, they've been hit hard since the summer. We're not seeing them recover, and much of the leadership on the NASDAQ remains in a handful of stocks, things like Google, Facebook, and Nike. One of the notable stocks that's performed extremely well all year, and it's missing from the list of leaders on the NASDAQ that I just talked about, is Apple. And again, while Apple has recovered some from its lows back in August, it's down well over 17% from the highs that it hit back in April of this year. And Apple's story is one that I want to highlight here because I think it's symbolic of what's going on with the overall market. You've heard me talk about this in previous episodes. While the U.S. economy seems to be moving along pretty well, 
There are some weak spots, but overall, the U.S. economy is performing favorably. The pullback that we saw back in August was as a result of concerns about Asia, primarily the slowdown in China, and in particular, why things fell apart when they did was because China had unexpectedly devaluated its currency. That told markets that not only was China slowing down, but that official number of 7% growth, well below the double-digit growth that it had been performing at in recent years, now that growth was more likely to be something around 5%, maybe even as low as 4%, because otherwise, why would they devaluate their currency? That sent further shock waves through the commodities market and the oil market, and so we saw copper prices, zinc prices, the price of iron ore, other industrial products, the price of oil, all those commodity type products continue to fall throughout the summer. And it's only been these past couple weeks that we're seeing a recovery, particularly in oil. And that increase in oil, in my opinion, is what's maybe putting us into this sucker's rally and this position right now where we may be seeing a double top form. For reasons I've given over at the blog at investablewealth.com and things that we've talked about in this podcast in previous episodes has to do with the shale oil revolution in the United States. You know, just since 2008, the United States oil production has about doubled. That puts us in the range of 9 to 10 million barrels a day produced in the United States. That domestic production has to stay here because Congress has a ban on the export of crude oil. Well, in the recent weeks, we've seen the House of Representatives vote to suspend that ban to let our domestic oil be exported. That still has to move through the Senate. If you remember a a couple episodes ago, I talked about the fact that Warren Buffett was investing in Phillips 66 refining capabilities. That told me that maybe from an insider perspective, he felt that that ban on oil exports was going to hold because that, in my opinion, would benefit Phillips 66. So we'll have to see if this export ban is lifted. Again, it's got to move through the Senate, and it's got to be approved by the president. If that ban is lifted, that will help the price of U.S. crude. Oil prices will definitely go up in the United States as a result of that, at least in the short term. So that's one thing that's been driving energy prices higher in recent weeks. There's also been a lot of talk out of OPEC that they feel that the global economy is coming more into a balance. We've seen more rigs shutting down in the United States. However, you you have to ignore the headlines because there has still been a lot of oil that has been going in to strategic reserves in the United States, in China, in, in other places around the world. So that's created a lot of temporary or at least uh, what you could consider some artificial demand. The overall global economy is still very weak. The International Monetary Fund came out a week or so ago and again lowered the global estimates saying that at best we were going to see 3.1% growth in the global economy. Well, that's an extremely anemic level of growth for the world economy. Major economies like Japan, Canada, they're in recession. Most of Southern Europe is in recession. Northern Europe is really teetering between growth levels of less than half a percent. The emerging markets, many of them are in recession. Their debt has been downgraded. There's concern that oil and commodity exporting countries could be defaulting on their debt. We, we saw that with Brazil just a couple weeks ago. Their national debt was downgraded to junk status. All these concerns remain. These are continue to be problem and trouble areas in the economy. 
where we see a global slowdown, we see global overcapacity, we continue to see a collapse in oil and commodity prices, even though over the past two weeks, things have looked a little brighter. And that's what I want to focus on. The reason that I think that we might be at a market double top and that we're going to continue to see more lows in this correction is that this recent recovery in oil may not be long lasting. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future. But when I look at the fundamentals, it looks like the price of oil is going to stay below $50 a barrel. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see it drop back below, down below $40 a barrel. The key thing to remember here is that that shale oil revolution in the United States, where the production of oil over the last seven or eight years has nearly doubled to nine to 10 million barrels a day. Well, that oil that's coming out of North Dakota and West Texas, some areas in in Western Pennsylvania, that shale oil can be produced from anywhere from maybe $20 a barrel all the way up to $60, $65 a barrel. Now, for a long time, OPEC and other oil prognosticators were focusing on the high end of that range. They were saying that oil is, you know, the cost to to produce oil in the shale oil fields is $60, $65, $70 a barrel. And that's why when oil was was dropping down below 80, they were saying it couldn't go any lower. Well, we we saw it go significantly lower. And that's because the shale oil producers, some of them are very efficient. Some of them have taken 50 to 75% of their costs out of production. They can produce oil at $20 a barrel. Now, not all of them, but enough of a percentage of them can that they still remain profitable right now when we're seeing oil at at below $50 a barrel. The thing to also remember is that this pipe is in the ground. The assets, the investments, the debt that has been taken on, that's dead money. It's already in the ground. And so the companies that are producing oil, the companies that own these wells, the financers and the banks that have loaned the money to to these producers to, to produce that oil, they would rather see oil pumped below cost just to create the cash flow that could cover the interest on those loans. And so even if a well has to produce at or below its production cost, it may do that just to pay the interest on the debt. The other thing to keep in mind is that many of these oil wells are owned by independents. It's not just one or two major companies that own them. And so they can't be stigmatized or looked at in a monolithic fashion. You literally have maybe hundreds or thousands of decision makers. And likewise, they have all these different levels at which they're profitable. And so every time the price of oil moves up one cent or one dollar, That incentivizes these oil well operators to bring their wells back online. And so again, in my opinion, that's why I think we're going to see a lid or some type of cap on oil somewhere in that $50 range. And again, I wouldn't be surprised to see it move lower. Now that's a key point. We'll get to that in a minute. I do have a caveat with this, and that's trouble in the Middle East. That's Russia helping the Assad government in Syria. We see a lot of sorties being flown over there. We see the the Russians providing a lot of defense to Assad. There may be a proxy war forming now between the Russians on the Assad side and the U.S. government on the rebel side in Syria. Trouble in the Middle East is always good for higher energy prices. So if anything, I don't think it's been the anticipation of global growth or even a balance in the supply of oil that's driven the price of oil up over these past two weeks. I think it's been Russia's interaction in Syria that's causing this. 
Now, that could be a short-lived thing, but it could also be saber-rattling in the Middle East to help support higher oil prices. That would obviously benefit the OPEC countries in the Middle East. It would benefit the Russians. It would benefit the multinational oil producers in the United States. It would benefit the emerging market commodity countries. When so many people have a positive interest in something, it's likely to happen. So if we do continue to see problems in the Middle East, yes, that could raise oil prices above $50 a barrel. And while that could be a good thing for commodity producers and keep them from uh, defaulting on their loans, I don't think that overall that means that we're going to see any more global growth. And thus, it would be hard for me to believe that we can go on to see the stock market make new highs or get on the S&P 500, you know, get back above uh, 2150, 2200 on the S&P 500. It would be hard to see that happen if the only reason things are stabilizing is because of problems in the Middle East. I do think that that is highly likely, though, and I bring this up because another reason why we're seeing some of the improvement in blue chip stocks and and some of the leadership that has occurred in stocks over the last two weeks has come from aerospace and defense-oriented stocks. Take a look at Lockheed Martin. They're up probably 10% or better over the last three months. This is at the same time that the general stock market is going down. Northrop Grumman, same thing, Uh, not as much, but probably up a good 7% over the last three months. Again, outperforming the general stock market. Raytheon, another defense contractor, performed extremely well while the market's been going down the last three months. Raytheon up something probably, I don't know, 12, 13%, maybe better. Now, General Dynamics not doing as well. These general defense contractors, though, have been performing extremely well. That concerns me from the standpoint of investors and Wall Street perhaps looking towards problems in the Middle East and seeing that that sector as a safe haven. Again, while that may be good short term, while that may be good to hold up the the price of oil and help commodities, I don't necessarily see that as a positive for the overall economy. I'm running long here and there's still a lot of other things I want to cover about what worries me about this market. Let me finish up this episode by saying if none of these other things were occurring, one thing that would still worry me about getting into this market at this point is that the S&P 500 is trading below its 100-day moving average. Now, you've heard me talk in these episodes quite a bit about how that 100-day moving average has been a key support level on the S&P 500 going back some 15 years or maybe more. I did a blog post over at investablewealth.com entitled Swing Trading in One Chart, and I laid out in that chart over the last 15 years how the 100-day moving average has acted as an early warning sign. And that if any time over the last 15 years had you sold the S&P 500 when it was below its 100-day moving average, that would have kept you out of all the catastrophic losses of these last 15 years. You would have avoided the dot-com bubble in 2000. You would have avoided the recession and the housing bubble in 2008. And currently in this correction, had you sold when the S&P 500 broke below its 100-day moving average, you would have missed the bulk of this correction. Obeying that simple rule would have put you out of this market somewhere around 2090 on the S&P 500. That would have got you out in early August, certainly in enough time to miss the big collapse that we got after August 15th. 
So putting aside all the things I've talked about up to this point, and then even putting aside the things I'm going to come back in the next episode and talk about, I would still not be buying into this market at this point until the S&P 500 was firmly above its 100-day moving average. And as of today, that's about 2040 in the S&P 500, so roughly another 1.5% above where we are right now. That's the ultimate resistance level that I'll be waiting at for this market to to breach above before I jump in and I'm confident that this correction is over. So until I get further or new information, that's what I'm sticking to. I encourage you to have similar rules and strategies to guide you in your investment decisions. So that'll wrap it up for today. I'll come back tomorrow. We'll finish up on my concerns of why I think we're at a double top. And so until then, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.